good to have you here with us this morning. And while the autumnal equinox does not happen until later this week, it feels a little bit like fall this morning. I'm glad you're here, here in the room. Those of you in Skagit, our campus there, thank you so much for being with us every week. And those of you online, glad that you're with us. I, I wonder if I could ask a favor from those of you here in Bellingham, Skagit online, if you could do something for us, it would be really helpful. And that is if in the next week or two, if you could just check in, um, and, and there's different ways you can do this. Uh, a couple years ago, we uh, didn't have services for a while, and then we had kind of the no-touch service, and we quit taking offering, quit doing the connect cards. And so there was a little uh, a, kind of a change in the way that, that people checked in. And, and because of that, our database got a little bit kind of funky. So some of you who are very involved here show up in our database as inactive because you haven't done a connect card in a couple of years. And then that's fine. We haven't given you that opportunity. But we would love to have every single one of you, if you call Cornwall Church your church home, if you would check in in the next week or two, there's a few ways you can do that with the app. You can do that um, on our website. Uh, you can even text in. You can text um, connect22 to the number uh, 94,000. That would be great. And if you say, well, I don't have a, I don't have a phone and I don't text and I don't have a computer and I don't know how to do the apps. If you uh, here in, and in Skagit, if after the service, you go to the information center, we have some old connect cards left over. So for some of you saying, I just like the way it used to be. Well, we got you covered. So if, if you could do that, that would really help us out. We're trying to clean up our, and update our database. I promise you, we will not spam you. We will not inundate your inbox. But there's a few times that we want to expect, you know, communicate to you some important things that are happening, and this would allow us to do this. We would really appreciate that. Hey, as you're here today, uh, no doubt we all come from different uh, situations and areas of life, but my guess is that some of you enter in here today um, with a level of, of fear that you live with, and, and if you don't, you probably have or you may, because I believe that, that part of the human experience is that we have these fears, and sometimes they're personal. We have fears about the future. How's this going to play out? Fears. Will I get into this college? Will I be able to retire? What about my family? How are my kids going to do? What about my grandkids? Fear about some health concerns and how, you know, what, what's this going to mean and what will the prognosis be? Fear about, about a career. All of these kind of fears personally. And then sometimes it goes even beyond that. Maybe fears for our government, for our social fears, or some economic fears for us as a nation, or environmental fears. And sometimes it goes global. It's on a global community, there's fears that we live with. I believe that we all have fears at different times and at different levels, and we always have. This is not a new experience. Trying to channel my inner Kip, let me do my best on this one. It was 1933. I would guess that there's only maybe one or two people in our church that even remember 1933, but 1933 was a rough year in America. I mean, there had been this ups, upswell of, of diphtheria and tuberculosis and scarlet fever. On top of that, this was the lowest, this was the nadir, this was the darkest year of the Great Depression. I mean, it, there was a, the, the big crash of 1929, and over these the ensuing years, half of the banks in America failed. The unemployment rate in the United States in 1933 was over 23%, more than 15 million Americans without jobs, and many of them leaving their homes in these, these shanty towns called Hoover, Hoovervilles that were popping up everywhere. On top of that, because of some 
Some new farming practices and an extended drought, there was the Dust Bowl throughout the Midwest where literally millions of tons of topsoil were blown off and human lives were lost and livestock were lost and crops were, were devastated. If you've ever read the book or saw the movie, The Grapes of Wrath, that was happening at that point. And in addition to that, on a global scale that year, there was a man named Hitler who had become the chancellor of Germany and was starting to persecute Jews. And there was a group, the Japanese, had discovered this new military hardware that they referred to as a machine gun that could shoot a thousand bullets a minute. And there was all of this turmoil nationally and globally. And then there was a change of leadership because Herbert Hoover, who had been the president, lost the election to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And FDR, in his inauguration speech, made these now very, very famous words spoken. He said, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. What he knew was that fear, fear was contagious. Fear was infectious. And fear could be paralyzing. It would, it would stop you from any kind of action that might be able to change things. And the converse is true. Not only does fear sometimes just get us uh, paralyzed, fear can cause us to make rash decisions, unwise, foolish, reactionary decisions. It was fear that caused the run on the banks, that caused half the banks to fail. It was this fear to, to go and do these things. And the interesting thing is that fear, many uh, experts would say, the fears that we have, many of them are perceived and usually about 85% of the things we fear never happen. But there are still those things that we fear that are legitimate and they're looming. And some of you are dealing with some of those fears today. And I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're all here. As we're looking at the life of Joshua, this is the second week of the series we're going to take throughout this fall, looking at the life of Joshua. And what's amazing about Joshua in, in this study is that while the events we look at in Scripture happened 3,500 years ago, and the details and the situations were different, the issues were exactly the same, and the principles have not changed. And it's as relevant to us today as it ever was for Joshua 3,500 years ago. So we're going to continue to, to, to look at this life of Joshua. And, um, and we saw even last week that the situation was different, but what he faced was a culture that was increasingly rebellious and going against God's ways. And there was a pressure to cave in to the voices of the culture. And that Joshua, not only that, but he experienced the consequences of the poor choices and decisions that someone else made that impacted his life. And now he's in this incredible season of waiting. The same things we face. A culture that is pressuring us to cave to the voices of the world instead of holding to the truth of God's word. Decisions that other people have made in our lives that impact us and very often us sitting there waiting. And yet, this is what we found about Joshua. We looked at this at the end last week. Numbers chapter 32, verse 12. Joshua, son of Nun, his, his dad, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Now today, what we're going to look at is again Joshua. And we're going to look at this whole concept of facing fears in our life and in our world. And as I was working on this sermon I began to realize as I was working on it that it was getting longer and longer and longer, which is some of your greatest fears. 
And I, I, I called Kip into my office and I said, hey, wait, wait, help me with this. Because I knew that to cover all that I had prepared, I would either have to preach really, really long, talk really, really fast, or heaven forbid, edit. <laughs> and so what I decided to do was I decided to take this sermon and turn it into two sermons. So you get part one today and you'll get part two tomorrow. And yeah, because you'll see at the end of today, if there was more, you'd be here all afternoon. So you're gonna get, you're gonna get part one of this sermon today. And, and we are gonna eventually uh, today get into Joshua chapter one. If you have your Bible or your tablet, we're gonna get to Joshua chapter one. Now I will say it's gonna take us a while. A little bit of an introduction to set up, to catch us up, to set us up for Joshua chapter one. And I will also say this, that today um, on the front end, I'm gonna be reading a lot of scripture. You don't have to follow along in your Bible, you can, but I will have it all up on the screen. So let me, let me set up where we're going today and, and kind of uh, pick up where we left off last week. As you remember, if you were here last week, that Moses has brought the people out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're right on the, on, the, on the verge of going in. They send 12 spies in, which, by the way, was not God's idea. We won't even cover that. But the spies come back, and 10 of them say, well, yeah, it's an incredible land, but we can't go. I mean, there are people in there. They're big. They're giants. They're unbelievable. And then Joshua and Caleb are saying, let's go. You know, if God's on our side, I mean, they're too big to miss. It's going to be great. Well, God eventually says, okay, you're going to get into the land, but all of you who said no and believed these guys, you're not going to go. So anyone 20 years or older, we're going to have to wait until you die, until I give you the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, uh, the exception here, but everyone else. And so for the next 38 years, Joshua and Caleb, they're experiencing the consequences of the choices these people have. And for 38 years, they're waiting. And you just know that at every funeral, Joshua and Caleb are there giving their condolences, but they're also singing, another one bites the dust, <laughs> another one down, and another one down. We're one step closer to that promised land. We're going to get in there. So they've waited. Now, there's another story we don't have time for. You can read it for yourself in Numbers chapter 20. It's where Moses, out of an act of rebellion, uh, disobedience, pride, and anger, and even a power, he doesn't play rock, paper, scissors. He plays rock, stick, water. And in so doing, read it on your own, in so doing, he and his brother Aaron are both disqualified from going into the promised land as well. All that set up to, now Moses knows he is not long for this earth. He's 120 years old. God has already told him he's not going to go into the promised land. He's done his duty. And you see this picture. It's kind of like Moses does his last ditch effort. One more try to see if God will change his mind. And the interaction that Moses has with the Lord is so similar to the interaction that some of you as parents have had with your children. Let's look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 3. At that time, I, this is Moses, I pleaded with the Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your, your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Now that sounds like this humble worship experience that he's saying, God, I'm your servant. You are the sovereign Lord. There's no God like you. Who else has the mighty hand you do and does the deeds you do? There were times when our girls were little I might be reading a book or watching a show, and one or both of them would come in and say, Dad, I say, yeah. They say, I love you. I say, I love you too. Dad, yeah. 
you know, you're the best dad in the world. And I said, what do you want? Some of you laugh because you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like this, this buildup because they want to ask, and usually, can I go over to someone's house or whatever? And, and it kind of like, you're the best dad ever of all the dads in the world, you know, all this stuff. Okay, what do, you, what do you want? And while Moses is speaking the truth about God, it's almost like he's doing that deal because look at the very next verse. Um, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country in Lebanon. Like, God, you're a God. What other God is like you? You're the best God. You're a powerful God. I'm your servant God. Hey, can I go over to the promised land? And then God's response reminds me so much of the response I had with my daughters. Verse 26, that's enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. <laughs> what part of no don't you understand? This conversation is that we're not having this conversation anymore. Do you know, any of you experience this at all? All right. So then God gives Moses some instructions. Verse 27. He says, go up to the top of Pisgah and uh, look west and north, south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you're not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. Encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you see. Moses, I want you to encourage Joshua. I want you to strengthen him. Because what I'm calling him to do, he's going to need strength. He's going to need courage. And we will see this here in a minute. He's going to need to be strong and courageous. And then at the end of Deuteronomy, and I, and I love the book of Deuteronomy. I think Deuteronomy gets just overlooked so much. But at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses does kind of like his swan song. And there's these beautiful chapters at the end of Deuteronomy. He writes this incredible song. He gives them a warning. He blesses the people. And it's, it's like he's coming to the end of his whole time. He's been with them for 40 years. And it's like he's saying, I'm, I'm giving you the, the, last things, I, the last things you're going to hear from me. I want to bless you. I want to warn you. And he gives them kind of this instruction in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he says this to them after having led them for 40 years. This day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death blessings and curses. Now, choose life, choose life, so that you and your children may live and that, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, listen, I, I'm not going to be able to be with you, but you've got a choice right here. I mean, it's obvious, and it's up to you. You control this, life or death, blessings or curses. And I'm telling you, choose the life and choose the blessings. And then he explains to them how he will not be leading them into the promised land. He will not be going with them. But he says, but the Lord will go, and Joshua will go as well. And then in the midst of all this he's going through, 
he, he gives this line, and this is the kind of the, the heroic command. It's the phrase that pays, and we will see it six different times. He gives this line, this command to them, and it's just these four words, this, this heroic command. Three times in, in, uh, three times in Deuteronomy 31. First, he gives this command to the whole nation of Israel. Then he turns and he gives the same command to Joshua. And then the Lord gives this command to Joshua. And then in Joshua chapter 1, three more times, the Lord gives it to Joshua three more times. Four words, this heroic command, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous over and over again to drill into their head, be strong and courageous. And often it's paired or coupled with the negative version of the same command. Uh, we see this in Deuteronomy 3, uh, 31, 6 and 8. Be strong and courageous. And then the negative version of it, do not be afraid or terrified. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Be this, do not be this. Be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Now, why would he say this? And why would this need to be repeated? Because apparently what they're going to face is going to bring about fear and terror and discouragement. And he knows that they will fall to that. I mean, you think about this as he talks to the people, the entire nation, they are getting ready to go into a land with an uncertain future. They're going into a land where they're not welcomed with open arms arms. They're going to be faced with opposition. And their forefathers told them those who will be opposing them are giants. There's a lot of fear of this unknown future that they're going into this new land, these people and what has to happen. So he tells him you need to be strong and you need to be courageous because there's going to be some circumstances that will cause you to be afraid or to have terror or to be discouraged. Don't fall to that. In addition to that, it's not just this new land. That's part of it. But Moses isn't going with them. Moses is the only leader they've ever known for the last 40 years. All they've ever known is either slavery or life under the leadership of Moses. And Moses isn't just a leader. He's like Charlton Heston, Moses. When Moses speaks, things happen. Moses was the guy. If they weren't alive, they had heard about her. Maybe they remember as a child, Moses is the one that met with Pharaoh. Moses is the one who seems to be able to bring plagues out of nowhere. Moses is the one that lifts up a rod and the, the, the sea splits. Moses is the one that can bring water from a rock. Moses is the one that can bring quail into the count. Moses is the one who talks to God face to face. Moses is the one that meets in the tent of meeting and the cloud of the, the glory of God comes on. Moses is the one that had the laws and the, and the Ten Commandments. Moses is the one that had the face shining with the Shekinah glory, this glowhead face that he had after me. This is Moses. Moses has led them. He has provided for them. He has protected them. He has guided them. And they're going into the future without Moses. Can you imagine the fear? We don't know life outside of the leadership of Moses. 40 years. We've had confidence because we have Moses. And now he's not going. He says, be strong and courageous. Oh, and I'll send Joshua. <sighs> okay. Joshua, good guy. But he's not Moses. I mean, Joshua, I mean, he's been like with Moses, but he doesn't do those things. 
He doesn't split Red Seas and bring down, well, okay, he won that battle with the Amalekites, but if you remember, that was only because Moses was holding up the rod. You don't have that, he would have lost that one. Now you've got Joshua taking over. He didn't have any experience. A couple weeks ago, um, I was going down to see my mom. She was turning 85, her 85th birthday, which, by the way, makes her the same age that Caleb was when they went into the Promised Land. So we're giving her the hill country. All right. <laughs> if those of you know the story. We'll get there in a couple weeks. So we're on our way to, to, to go celebrate my mom's 85th birthday. And we stopped in Centralia. And Doreen wanted to get something at the grocery store. So we went to one of those where there's a grocery store and there's a gas pump. So I dropped Doreen off and I went over to the, to the gas pump because might as well top off the tank while we're there. And there was a car in that first spot. So I went around and got in front of it. So getting out, getting gas, and uh, this person behind me, there's a young gal getting gas in her, in her car, and I'm just not paying any mind to it. And so I'm pumping gas in, into the car, and suddenly I hear this voice say, excuse me, excuse me. And I turn around, and it's this young gal. And she goes, can, can you help me? And my first thought was, her burly boyfriend is hiding somewhere to jump me when I go over. I've heard these stories. I've watched Dateline. I know how this works. And I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, what's, so I walk back to her car, and, and she's got her, the, the pump in the, in the nozzle in the, in the tank, and she's got this, and she says, I, I don't have a lot of experience with this. And I said, well, you got a credit card? Yeah, I did that, and you put that in, and she said, well, I just got my license today. <laughs> yeah, and so I said, well, do you do your credit card? I did. So you put it in there? I did. So you push it? Yeah, I did. So I pulled the little handle and started pumping gas. <laughs> <clears throat> And I'm like, hey, congratulations. Glad it's your first day on the road. I got to get out of here. <laughs> Don't you think they felt a little that way with Joshua? I mean, he's not having a lot. This is his first day with his license. Some of you were around here 30 years ago when Pastor Ken, our leader, our visionary, our pastor left and they left me in charge. <laughs> Be strong and courageous. Some of you were freaked out. I was freaked out. I don't have any experience. So now they're going into this unknown future, into this land where there's giants and Moses isn't going with them. And Joshua, who's first, he's a 16-year-old girl with a license, doesn't even know how to pump gas. And he's going to lead us. Be strong and courageous. And then Moses turns to Joshua. Verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. I mean, for Joshua, how intimidating it must have been. I mean, he's been with Moses, but he's just watched. He's just helped. He's just assisted. And now I have to follow in his footsteps and, and, and I'm supposed to, to have all the wisdom and the knowledge and, and the leadership and, and, and to do all of this? I mean, you can understand why he would be afraid as well. But I think the real reason and maybe the main reason that Moses says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, is because that line that he had said, for you must go with this people. <laughs> Moses has led them for 40 years. He knows their propensity. 
And this might be a matter of semantics, but notice he doesn't say, you must go with these people. <laughs> no, he says, you must go with this people, like this group, because he knows, and he knows what it's like to lead them. It's like herding cats, and they're forever strained. They're going the wrong way. It's like trying to get them back in line, and he says, Joshua, you're going to have to do this. In fact, you can recognize how Moses understands how difficult it is to lead these people, because in his closing comments to them, he makes a statement that it does not put him up as motivational speaker of the year. Look what he says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 31, 27. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? For I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall upon you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke him to anger by what your hands have made. Joshua, they're all yours. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I have to lead this people? That's what I have to look forward to? Oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. No wonder he says you're going to need to be strong and courageous because this is what you're having to deal with. And then this comes to the close for Moses, Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo, Mount Nebo, from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Now, a few, few trips back, we went into Jordan. We climbed to the top of Mount Nebo. And at the top of Mount Nebo, you can look down and you can see the Dead Sea. You can see the Jordan Valley. And on a clear day, you could see all of this promised land. And Moses goes up there. Now, this is how you're going to be able to have incredible trivia to impress your family and friends in the future when someone says, where was it that Moses died? Mount Nebo. Here's how you can remember it. Nebo, Nomo, Rutro. Okay, now you know. All right, he's at Mount Nebo. And at this point, we cue Vince Gill. And he starts singing, go rest high upon that mountain. Son, your work on earth is done. Go to heaven and shouting, love for the Father and the Son. Okay, well, Vince isn't here, but I thought I'd quote that anyway. So he goes up on the Mount Nebo, sees it all, and he dies. And then the people go into a 30-day period of mourning. Now, that's the introduction to the sermon. <laughs> now, are you ready for the sermon? Okay, Joshua chapter 1. Now we get to where we're going. Jo See, this could have gone on and on and on. Joshua chapter 1, Moses has died. They've been mourning his, his, his passing for 30 days. There's this promised land. Joshua chapter 1, we see this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. <laughs> I love this because God doesn't do a lot of mushy, sentimental stuff. Because God knows that death is not the end of everything. His work continues on. He says, hey, Josh, Moses is dead. Get up. We got work to do. We got places to go. We got lands to conquer. Let, let, let's get going on this thing. Yes, he's dead. But we're going to move forward. And, and we're, we're going to do this. And then, then God gives him this line. Three times we'll see it in, in the matter of uh, about four verses. Be strong and courageous. 
Be strong and very courageous, he says. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Three times, over and over again. Be strong and courageous. And the reason I think this is so important here is that he's not just trying to, to pump him up. He's not just trying to motivate him. He's not trying to just say, you can do this. He's not just trying to get him to channel his inner superhero and, and somehow have this self-actualized potential. It's not that at all. He's not just trying to say, come on, I believe in you. I think you can do it. Just try really hard. You're going to do this thing. No, that's not it, because from this point going forward, the key character, the key figure is not Joshua. In fact, the name Joshua reminds him that it's the Lord, it's Yahweh. It's not Joshua that's going to do this. Remember that name Joshua, Yeshua, Yahashua. Yahweh is salvation. He says, this is why you can, you can go forward. Not because of your abilities, but because of who Yahweh is. And so he says to him, so you follow him. You trust him. You obey him. You worship him. You fear him. And you won't have a thing to worry about. Oswald Chambers said this. He says, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. You follow him, you trust him, you fear him, you reverence him, and you will be strong and courageous. I mean, again, we don't have time to go into this, but in Exodus 23, if you want to look at this on your own, just write down Exodus 23. When God is telling them to go into the promised land in Exodus 23, there's a section, short amount of verses, where six or seven times God says, I will do this, I will do this. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. He says, you don't have to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go before you, and I will do this. It's not about you. Your job is to believe me, to trust me, to follow me, to obey me, to worship me, to fear me, to do those things. And, and we'll see this throughout this series. That's your job. And let me do the rest. I will do the rest. You know, there's a, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, the life change index where they give uh, point values to changes in your life and you can kind of add up the stress level. Like if, you, if you've lost a loved one, it's worth this many points. And it's, it's not like a game. It's just kind of a, a psychological uh, from psychologists of, of the stressors in life. You know, if you move, it's this many points. If you change jobs, this many points. You have this responsibility, this many points. All, all these things add up. There is so much changing in their world their life change index is off the charts. They've lost their leader. They've got a new boss. He's got new responsibilities. They're moving from their home. They're going into a new land. There's new uh, challenges, all these things. Everything is changing except one. One thing remains the same. Verse 5, God says to Joshua, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was so will I be. God doesn't change. Some of us grew up singing that great hymn, Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. God doesn't change. You know, the, the theological term for this is immutable. God is immutable. I, and Malachi says, I, the Lord, do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. All your circumstances, all your situations, everything is changing except one thing, the constant, the Lord. 
Now, some of you who are following along or astute enough to know that I have left some verses, some words out of that verse. And you say, well, that's not really what he's talking about. And you are absolutely correct. While that is true about God, his immutable, unchanging nature, what he says to Joshua is far more practical. Let's look at it again. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, this is why you can be strong and courageous. Not because of your abilities, not because of your military, not because of your strategies, not because of your brilliant mind. This is why you can be strong and courageous. Because the same way I was with Moses, I promise you, I will be with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. So live in that courage. Uh, I was thinking about this, and a story I told years ago, but I think it bears repeating because it so illustrates this. Um, when I was a little kid, we moved, moved from Ruston, Louisiana to Vancouver, Washington. My dad was a pastor, pastor of the church in Vancouver, Washington, and I was a little guy, seven years old. And the churches of our denomination, the Portland, Vancouver area, once, it was either once a month or once a quarter would have these, um, these skating parties for the youth groups. And, and they would meet in the skating rink um, in downtown Portland. It was kind of actually a, a seedy area under the, under the Hawthorne Bridge there on, on the... Uh, on the east side of the Willamette River. It's just a kind of a sketchy area. Why they took the youth groups there, I don't know, but maybe we got there. Well, I wasn't old enough to be in the youth group, but my dad was a pastor, so I got to go to the skating parties. And I remember as a little guy going to the skating rink, and you walk in, and you pay your money, and then you go get your skates and, and, and all the fungus that comes with that, and then there's a concession stand, there was pinballs over here, and there was some seating over here, and this was old school skating rink. Like, no DJ, they had the Wurlitzer organ. The guy playing the organ and up in the rafters, there was percussion and there were uh, wind chambers and there were pipes and it was just a steal. And, and, and the skating rink, and, and on the far side, all the concessions and the skates and the seating was on the one side. On the far side was just this wall with these windows that kind of went out. And, and, and as you went there, that was under the Hawthorne Bridge and you could hear the honking and sirens and all that. And kind of a scary place on that far wall. So I was skating which is generous. Um, I was shuffling on wheels with a death grip on the rail, kind of walking around on, on these wheels. And so um, about my second time around, the skating party had been going on for about an hour or so. Second time around, I'm on the far wall over where these windows are, and I'm kind of shuffling along, and suddenly the guy behind the whirlitzer says, it's now time for a couple skate, so grab your couple and everyone else clear the rink. And all the lights went out. And then the mirror ball started spinning, so there's these flashing white little dots everywhere, and these colored lights came on, and this music started, and, and people start leaving, and I'm on the far wall, and I look around, and I can't see my mom, and I can't see my dad, and there's these couples that are skating by, and these shadows, and these lights, and this flashing in the darkness, and all that, and I don't know anybody, and I can't see anyone, and one of the big kids skates by and says, hey, kid, it's couple skate, get off the rink, and I'm trying, and all that, and in all this that's going on with the lights, and the dark, and the flashing, and no one around, I'm terrified, I'm scared, I'm crying crying and I'm just standing there completely paralyzed in my fear and then seemingly out of nowhere my dad swooped in like an eagle and scooped me up in his arms and picked me up 
And I knew it was my dad. Those hairy arms. <laughs> that familiar smell of aqua velva. And he whispered in my ear, Bobby, you're okay. I knew his voice and he knew my name. And we couple skated. <laughs> my little skates dangling, and me dieseling. <laughs> Yea, though I skate in the shadow of the couples, I will fear no evil. My dad is with me. And I can be strong and courageous. That's the confidence preposition is with. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. You don't have to be afraid. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situations, I will be with you as I was with Moses. How was he with Moses? Moses dealt with fear. He dealt with terror. He was afraid. Remember at the burning bush, and God says, I want you to go talk to the most powerful man in the world. Tell him to release his free labor force and let them go. What does Moses say? Exodus 3. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said... I will be with you. And later, as they're out in the desert, and God says, go on up and take the promised land, Moses says to him, you know, I, I, I don't want to go if you're not with us. Exodus 33, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If you don't go, we don't go. They can keep their land flowing with milk and honey. And this is what I love about that statement. More than the possession of the promised land, he wanted the presence of the promised keeper. More than just getting this land that had been promised and the land flowing with milk and honey and all the bounty of that, he said, you don't go with us, we don't go. I would rather stay in the wilderness with you than be in the promised land without you. And I wonder sometimes if we're kind of the opposite. God, I just want the promises. I just want the blessings. I just want the answers to prayer. I, I just want all of the blessings from your hand. When God says, but what about me? Do you want my presence with you? Or just my gifts for you? Now, now what's interesting is that in verse 5, God says, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you, forsake you. Then he says some other stuff. That's next week. That's the part of the sermon that we turn into a new sermon. And then in verse 9, he comes back to it again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I mean, look at this. He says it in verse 5, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And in verse 9, he says, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. It's like they're bookends. It's like this bracket. It's almost like they're two arms that come to pick him up and say, so you can be strong and courageous. Anybody say, well, Bob, this is a great story about Joshua and fun story about the roller skating rink, but why are we here today? Because we live with fear as well. They might be different than the fears he faced. 
but we live with fears. And we can take from this God's timeless truth that God is with you. He's with you in whatever face, whatever season, whatever circumstance, whatever prognosis, whatever you face, he is with you. I mean, throughout scripture, we see this over and over again. Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I just believe that death doesn't exist. No, it does. For thou art with me. You're with me. Last week, we looked at, at this word out of Matthew where the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says, you're going to give him the name Jesus, which is the Greek version of Joshua, Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation, and now Jesus is coming to save his people from his sins. Two verses later, Matthew 1, 23, he says, the virgin will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Before Jesus is ever born, it's like he's reminding us again, I will be with you. And the very last thing that Jesus ever says before he ascends to, the, to, to be with the Father again is in that great commission, and surely I will be with you always. It's like it brackets the life of Jesus. It's like bookends. It's like two arms that surround and uphold us. John 14, Jesus said, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will send one. This is what the Holy Spirit dwells right within, within us. John 15, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Keep in step, it says in Galatians. Keep in step with the Spirit to live with him because he is with us. Uh, let, let me give you a, a, a practical exercise to, to apply to your life. In the 17th century, there was a, a Carmelite monk, a, a little friar, and he went by the name Brother Lawrence. And uh, a very humble man, but an incredible relationship with God. And after his death, they compiled some letters and some conversations, correspondence that he had, and they put it together in this tiny little book that you can still get it, a little book that called The Practice of the Presence of God. And the premise of it is this, is that he discovered it didn't matter if he was at the altar receiving the Eucharist in the cathedral or he was washing the pots and pans in the kitchen of the monastery, that he could experience God no matter where he was in the same depth and richness. And it's just learning to practice the presence of God because God has already said, I'll not leave you or forsake you. I put my spirit right within you. And we just go through life not acknowledging that, not aware of that. And to know that whatever you do, whatever you're facing this week, in your home, at work, on the field, you know, at the game, in your school, in your neighborhood, as you're driving, no matter where you are, that God is with you. And maybe for some of you, you may need to memorize this verse 
And let me read it for you one more time. Joshua 1, 9. And God says to you, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Listen, we in this world filled with fear, we can be strong and courageous. Not because of all of our wisdom and our prowess and our abilities, because he is with us. Live in that reality.